0: Come on. Thank you. Oh, was that good? I think that was just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> you feeling a little better than when you came in? <laughs> you know, um, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's saying this. I think that, that fear woke up afraid this morning in your life. You ever think about that? You wake up and you're worried and you're afraid. And I think the devil woke up this morning. He was a little worried you were going to make it to church. (laughs) There's some times that we sing. I I said to the worship team, and then I had to explain myself. I'm like, I like angry songs. I'm not like angry at people or angry at life. makes me mad at the devil. You know, like Lord send revival. You know... The devil is going to push you up against the Red Sea, but the very thing that he'll push you up against is the thing that will drown him out if you let God. The very sea that you found hopeless, why do y'all think I preach so good about marriage? Because the very thing that broke us is the very thing that brings healing to other people if you let God. Oh, I'm fired up. Y'all are thinking about it. I've uh, called this sermon as I preach about the life of Daniel. Today, I'm preaching about the life of three young friends called Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. If you grew up in Sunday school, that just helps you remember it. Very common baby names these days. If only somebody was pregnant and about ready to have a child anytime, give their children biblical names. I've already suggested the name Corey, but they don't want a champion I think it's a good, it's it's got to be on the list. Shadrach. To bed we go. (laughs) I don't know how you come to faith. If you have come to faith in Christ, or maybe you're just here checking faith out and you're kind of wondering. You realize in the past uh, year, maybe 2020 has been the worst year of all time. Here's the thing about 2020. The worst year of all time could be the best year of all time because it's not over. And... um, and sometimes the pressure and the fear drives us to Christ, and, and I would uh, ask you to let it do that in your life. Let it drive you to the living God and the courts of the living God. C.S. Lewis was a man who wrote um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He, he wrote some very heady theological um, books in his time, but he didn't come to, to faith in Christ, like maybe you grew up in Sunday school, but that wasn't, his story was through pain and suffering, and, and he eventually found Christ, you know, this, this rock that could not be moved, and he eventually found his way to Christ, and then what he did was he spent some of his writing in tearing down the empty philosophies of his day, and, and I know Facebook fans that you think that you're very philosophical and very wise. But most of us arrived at whatever you believe about God. And I could ask you three questions and you'd be like, I don't know. I don't believe there is a God. Why? Well, one question. (laughs) He arrived to faith through the struggle. Some of you are going to arrive to a different level of faith today and a different level of maturity in your faith in Christ, a deeper relationship. God can't give you everything at once because you couldn't handle that. And he came to faith through the struggle. You and I, we come here and we, sometimes we pray superficial prayers. Sometimes they're very real and, and heartbroken prayers. And we're like, God, if you just fix my marriage, you know, if you just help me with, I got three kids figured out. I just got the one problem kid. Which one is it? You know, you come in with your list of God and you're like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm coming this morning looking for this and you start praying. Praying is just talking with God. and and you pray and you're asking God for things and there's this expectation around that. But some of your prayers haven't been answered or haven't been answered yet. Some of your prayers might never get answered because C.S. Lewis wrote something that was foundational. He said, this is the prayer that should precede every other prayer. See, he came through the struggle. And he's like, for this to be right out here, I have to get something right in here. And if this is not right, maybe this is what's wrong. And he said, there's a prayer that comes before every other prayer. That I pray. Every other connection with God out here, there's something that comes before it. And he goes, The prayer that should precede all prayers, I'm just going to paraphrase this to you. Our venue code is based on this foundation. When I heard this sentence in this statement, it shocked me and it changed me. He said, Here's the prayer. You ready? May it be the real me that speaks and the real you that I speak to. God may it be the real me that's speaking and the real you that I'm speaking to. I'm not going to assume that either of those things is true. I'm going to start back here. And if I start back here, then this might be okay. And some of us, you grew up in church or you maybe left the faith and came back because the, the promises that you thought you heard didn't come true or they didn't come true in the time that you wanted or maybe you just didn't have the right read and the right real. You know what I mean? The real me and the real, the real God. When Christ followers get out of sync with the real you and the real God, we get weird. Has anybody ever experienced a weird Christian? It's okay. It's just between us. Anybody? A weird Christian? This side of the room. Anybody ever met a weird Christian? Now, now, if everybody on your row with your cohort family has their hand in the air and you don't, it's you, sweetheart. You're the weird one. Because weird is just weird, but when you throw God into the mix, then things get real weird. I worked for a weird Christian one time. I uh, When I... When we got married, I went back into the electrical trade. I'd spent my time around the trades and that's the world that I kind of came from. And I went back into the electrical trade and I worked for a man named Erhard who was a really good electrician, but kind of a weird, a weird Christian. I got, that was 21 years ago. We just celebrated our 21st anniversary, (laughs) definitively proving that God is on the throne. Like that right there. If you come in and you're far from God, you don't believe in Jesus. We made it 21 years, man. Believe in Jesus because that's the only thing that made the difference for us. And and, uh, and when I started working for him, I noticed like he was always trying to draw me into these weird theological, that just means your thoughts about God and these weird arguments, you know. And... Um, and he believed a certain thing, and he came in from this, like, well, we've been hurt in the church. I don't know if you've heard that before, but heres he was what I call a Lone Ranger Christian. Now, here's what I know, that if you get separated from church, you'll get weird. Just give it time. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a pastor's kid. I know. And they had been separated for so long, and their thing underneath it. Everybody has to tell themselves a story about why they don't go to church. But Paul the Apostle said, don't forsake the assembling together. I deal with enough weird anyway. So he's saying, like, look... There's something that will keep you on track. You need to go to church. You need to assemble together. And he said, you know, we've been hurt by the church. I'm thinking, you know, I'm a pastor's kid. I don't think, I don't know if anybody gets hurt by the church more than the pastor does. Because sheep get all bitey. Break up sheep fights. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, I just thought that it was a family that you were supposed to kind of work through. Because I've never been hurt more than in my own family too. But still family. Right. And, um. He would draw me into these weird arguments, you know? And so at some point along the way, this sermon is called Adapt and Die. I'm gonna talk about how you adapt or die at first. And this would make sense to you. You know, I had to adapt myself in that situation that I could be fully on board with the electrical stuff but not get fully on board with weird arguments that would like, you know? And I had to like tune out who I was a little bit just to kind of be a certain somebody to him just so that I wouldn't get drawn into all these things. we just agree to disagree and like get on with it, you know, and just do the work that we we're supposed to do. But I remember one time I was working in a customer's home and they had me wire something up and uh, they were like amazed. Like they're like, how does this work? And I said, because I'm me and probably cause I was an apprentice and didn't know how it worked. I'm just like, magic. My life is magical, everybody. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of magic. Have you ever been to Disneyland? My wife went to Disneyland last year and she's like, it's magical 47 times. It's so magical. It's the most magical place on earth. Erhard, however, didn't like that statement. So he pulled me aside after and gave me a very stern Christian lecture about how that was unfitting for a Christian to say the word magic. I'm like, I didn't say like, it works through the occult. You know, like it wasn't like if we'd sacrifice another, you know, like it wasn't like weird, weird. I thought I was just being funny and he didn't think that was funny. Some people's Christianity is so holy that, you can't laugh anymore. I'm not sure how holy that is. I went over to his, I, I admired him because his wife had MS and, and and he had to help her. A lot of his day was just spent in helping her. And so one time he had to go to Calgary all day. And so what I did was I, I uh, he's like, do you want to help feed her lunch? And I'm like, absolutely. Would love to help any way that I can. Um, but she was also kind of getting a little bit weird. As a Christian and um she was listening to a Christian radio show and she said to me when I when I came in I was heating her food up or something and she said, I want you to call this guy up and tell him to quit manipulating people. I'm like, Who's that? Ring ring, Richard, stop manipulating people, you know. So um, so I did, you know, I'm good in these moments. My wife is not good. She would just say yes and try to make the phone call, you know. She was like, yes, uh, whatever I, it makes you happy, you know. To me, I, I just smiled like I would do it. I just said, I'd feel more comfortable if you did that. Would you like me to dial his, his number? I'll find it. <laughs> we all have to adapt or die. Thank you, Sean. We all have to adapt or die in relationships, you know. What you and I do is we create to, to get through your filter or to even here, here's, you know, in talking to my daughters, I can't talk to all my daughters the same. You know, I can't talk to you the same as I talk to you, and you, you live in the same home, you know. I have to adapt myself to you to get through to you sometimes. You know, people have filters, and I can't just be myself. You know, have you, have you ever met me? You know, my hosting team is like, don't talk to this family out there. They look a little scared. The music's a bit louder than they're used to, and if you talk to them, you're gonna to try to get them baptized in the in the sink back there, and you're gonna to try to get them filled with the Holy Ghost, and you're gonna to try to you're gonna freak them out. Don't be yourself, is what they're saying. Don't be the real you. Just be a little bit, you know. Because I'm an intense person, and, and I find that I have to adapt myself or die. You know, I I can't enter that relationship with Erhard. And where he was a really good electrician, had a lot to teach me. But if I got pulled into all these other things, so I had to kind of create a version of myself to work there, you know. Some of us have versions of ourselves for, you know, some of y'all, you got, you got your church version, which is you right now. You're looking all good. Made it to church with pants on. Super proud of you. But then there's like hockey you. That's never the best you. That's not, it's not your best. You know, you have, you have you parenting at home and then you have you parenting in the grocery store. Look at my beautiful children. They have never thrown a fit in the store. I'm a good parent. You have marriage you out here, like, hey, everything's great. And then you have marriage you where you're definitely not dating and trying to impress anybody anymore. You know, you, have, you create different versions of you. The first thing that happens is that you create, step one that you do is not particularly bad. We do it to survive. We do it to adapt. We do it to have friends and, you know, just like live life. To remain employed. You know, the first thing you do, step one, is you create an image of yourself to others. That's kind of normal. Like, we do that. We create an image of, I create a certain image or projection of myself to you. Um, and so, it works as long as you remember who you are. But, but who you are gets a little bit lost, I think, over time. See, there's a healthy way of adapting that keeps us close to God's design for us, but most of us are not super healthy, and so the unhealthy version creates this projection that's not really close to who I am. It's, it's kind of uh, this other thing that maybe you want me to be, maybe who I think that I need to be, and so um, it, it's we start getting further and further from God's design for our lives. And then, and then it's nearly impossible not to create a projection for, for Tyler here. It's nearly, why would I create a projection for him if I can choose that looks flawed? It's a temptation that we fall for. You're human. Like, I'm going to create, you know, when you're dating somebody, you don't start the first date and you're like, I'm a bit of a mess. <laughs> if you marry me, you're marrying crazy. <laughs> Just to let you know, you're going to need to be patient. You're going to need to learn how to forgive a lot. Sometimes I just say stuff and whatever comes out of my mouth, you just got to be like, you know, nobody, you never date somebody like that. And so what we do is we create this relationship out there and you create this projection out there and and I create a projection for you. Um, But then I fall for the trap of creating one without any flaws. And the older I get, the harder it is to remember, like, wait, 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 am I at hockey? Am I in the lobby? Where am I? Am I in my basement? That's not a good one either. And what happens is you and I start feeling disconnected and we start feeling unloved. It's really our fault. Think about this. I start feeling unloved because you, you know, I don't feel connected to the real me, but that's not what I sold you. You're trying to connect with something that doesn't really exist. Part of it does, but the other part doesn't. And then I start feeling disconnected and I start feeling unloved and I start feeling like you don't love me, but I, I sold you the thing in the first place and you're connecting with what I sold you but not what I really am. And we start getting mad because then you expect me to be what I sold you. This is psychologically very astute. <laughs> You're getting a lifetime of experience in one sermon today. You create a you that's kind of flawless and kind of not who you are. And... Um, Pastor Craig Rochelle said, you might impress somebody with your strength, but you connect in weakness. But the trouble is your projection isn't as weak as you really are sometimes. You filter out too much of who you are and what's really going on, you know. Start putting masks on and you filter out who you really are to the people that you shouldn't filter that with. Some people you do need to filter out, but but then you start, there's these people that God gave you to do life with. And you start filtering out too much of who you are with them. You do it for protection. You do it for success. But in the end, it's not successful. The step two. Now, this is where we get into the, may it be the real me who speaks. Because I can do that and not lose track of myself for, for a while. If I'm healthy, I can do that, you know. The second thing we do, step two. The first step is I sell an image to you of myself. The second thing is I sell, I create an image and I sell it to myself, of myself. You ever do that? You've been married for 10 years, and all of a sudden you're like, who's this other person? That's not who I married, you know? But then you create, and they say that to you, and you're like, who's this? Is this who you really are? You create an image or a projection of yourself that doesn't have your actual flaws, and sometimes your actual strengths in it. You create this other thing, and then you tell yourself a story about that's who you really are. It might be who you want to be, it might be who somebody wants you to be, but you sell it to yourself. And as soon as you sell it to yourself, it's not really you who's speaking anymore, it's this other thing. And, and um, here's what we say, we create stories around ourselves. Like I'm not addicted. You know, I don't have an anger problem, I have a stupid people problem. <laughs> I, I got an idiot problem is what I got. I don't have an anger problem, you know. I'm not impatient. You're just slow. Come on, man. Somebody tell me a story. I'm like, just get to the punchline, man. I don't have 15 minutes to set this thing up. I'm not impatient, though. You just got to, I got a slow people problem. <laughs> like, I'm strong. You know, you tell yourself, I'm strong. I'm strong. This thing won't be, you know. Or you tell yourself, some people set, uh, create an image of themselves as a victim. Like, my life would be Okay. If 20 years ago, my dad hadn't, and that's why, and God's looking at you, a son or daughter of God, and he's like, what? That, what? Why would you create that version of, well, if I had a better dad, then I wouldn't be. God's like, I'm a better dad. But you, you sell yourself an image of yourself, and it starts changing your nature, and it, your currency starts shifting from truth to a projection of what you wish you were. And guilt naturally follows because you're not living according to the way that God designed you. You're not the person that God designed you to be. Now, guilt is is a gift from the Holy Spirit there for one reason and one reason only. It's powerful. It's there to make you feel bad for doing something or being somebody that you shouldn't be so that you stop go in the other direction and are restored. Every time there's sin in your relationship, like unless that sin is dealt with, it builds a wall between you. So guilt is there like, I feel bad. And so you like, I feel bad. I'm going to tear this wall down so that we can come back together. Holy Spirit's like sinful people can't be together with the sinless God. So I'm going to make you feel guilty. But what happens is when you create an image of yourself, you have to tell yourself, well, it's not really that bad. I'm not really that I'm not doing these things. That's not me, you know? And so you're never guilty. So then you feel guilty all the time, and then you start getting angry at the people around you. This is, this is how we do it. You start getting angry at the people around you because they ought to be angry with you, but they're not. It's just a natural. I don't know why it happens, but it just happens. You're not living from your true self, and you get angry because they don't love the real you. They don't, But you sold them somebody who's not you, and they're doing the best that they can. But then you feel disconnected from them because you haven't even given them a chance to love or dislike the real you. They don't even know the real you. You don't speak your mind. Then you assume everybody else does the same thing. Then what happens is you start answering, not to your true self, not to the true God. You start answering to this image of yourself. This gets weird. I see some people and they they tell a lie to get out of something they did wrong. And I I know the people around them are honest people. And I know that God is honest. And I'm like, who are they trying to impress by lying? Everybody knows. You have a kid who's lying. Everybody knows that they're lying. Why are they lying? They're trying to impress the image of themselves in their own head. Because they value that to maintain their image. But everybody around them is like, just tell the truth. This takes too long. It's not impressing anybody but that version of yourself in yourself. It's just a weird thing, man. Then the third thing that you do, and then I do. Is, uh, see, we first thing I do is I make an alternate me and sell it to you. And then I make an alternate me and sell it to me. Now it's not the real me speaking anymore. And then I make an alternate God. Watch, watch what happens. You don't think this happens? You ever met any weird Christians? Okay, this is what happens. A holy God doesn't accept unholiness. God says, okay, I want to deal with sin in your life. I want to deal with your addictions. I want to deal with all the things that you don't like about you. Um, But we got to look at it and we got to be honest about it. And God says, okay, so you need to stop doing this thing. And you're like, okay, okay, okay. Like if I get as far as like, okay, God, forgive me. I know that this is wrong. That's easy to do. I don't know why. It's just easy. Like, God, forgive me. So so the Bible says, confess your sins to God for forgiveness. Okay. Um, and, And in that, it's not like God is going soft on sin. God then takes your sin and puts it on Christ. So God is just. God's mercy is not unjust, meaning the penalty of your sin still goes on Christ. He just looks at you and sees Jesus. So sometimes we're like, "Oh, God doesn't care about it. No, God definitely cares about sin because it separates you from Him and it separates you from each other. We got to deal with sin. He puts it on Christ. That's the the con- the anger of God went on Christ, you know, and that's really what salvation is. It's coming under that and being like, "I need Jesus." Between I need Jesus because I'm sinful, you know. And so what happens is we ask forgiveness of God. That's the easy part. But then the scriptures say, "Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed." And then you go to the Holy Spirit and are like, okay, but I don't want to say this because it's super embarrassing and I did something real dumb. So I'm going to be really nice to this person. So I don't have to say it. You just made a deal to an alternate God that doesn't exist. A holy God, you know what the word holy means? Like whole, unfractured. He cannot be anything but all that he is. And if he would make a deal with sin, that would make him The devil. So you don't, are you feeling this? He cannot fracture his character. It would make him not God. And he's definitely God. So we make a deal with this thing. I'm just going to be super nice. It lasts for about two weeks. And then you get super not nice. And what happens is we don't confess our sin. We make an alternate. We make a deal with something that's not holy anymore. And it's not really God. We set up an image and we put it in the temple. And that's when you start praying to this other thing. And you're like, this other thing will make deals with you and be like, okay, well, if you do this and I'll do this, but God's not like that. God's like, I have good things planned for you. I just need you to do this. And you're like, I don't want to do this. I want to do that. And give me the same thing. And God's like, who are you talking to? This is good theology right here. This, if you get this right, your life will go in the direction that God wants it to. And then the miracle of God will be in your life. All right. Then we get to this weird place. Before we get into the story of the fiery furnace, we get to this weird place where we pour everything in one bucket and then we're like, accept all of me. Love all of me. And your mom and the Holy Spirit are like, no. Some of y'all is psycho and I love you, but I don't accept psycho in this home if you want to eat and live indoors. And then we say to our people and when we say to this fractured, this alternate God, we're like, accept all of me. And it's God's like, well, I do love you, but I don't, I don't love sin. So I'm not, I can't accept all of you. That would make me not God. And that would make you broken, and I'd be okay with that. And I'm not okay with you being broken. I want you to be healed and whole and fixed and, I mean, relatively well, you know. I want you to connect with people. So watch this. We're going to read King Nebuchadnezzar, it says, in Daniel chapter 3. So we've already talked about Daniel and the lion's den. Now we're going to go back a, a bunch of years to his three friends. And now these guys are young men watch how much guts this would take because this crazy King Nebuchadnezzar makes a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So this guy had invaded Jerusalem, I think three times. He stole a bunch of stuff out of the temple. He starts setting himself up as somebody to be worshiped, And so, so he does this 90 feet tall. You know, it's funny that when you make a a fake projection of yourself, it's never really lifelike. (laughs) You know, you don't make a statue that's roughly your height because like, Nebuchadnezzar's like five foot ten, and he needs a stool so that people can see him, right? He's like, I'm just going to make this giant thing of myself that's not really like me, you know. Then he sends messages to all these people to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and language, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of all these instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Watch it. He's not even really getting worshipped himself. It's his statue that wants to get worshipped. Right? Just like you set up when your husband was dating you and he thought that was you. And you're like, worship this statue of myself. You don't think that it's... Yeah, it's just true. It's just what we do. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. That sounds fun. Like, we're afraid to sing or talk moistly to each other, right? But nobody's going to like turn a furnace up and toss us in there. <laughs> Am I right, Christians? Right. We're all worried about this. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people bowed to the ground, worshiped the gold statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the, astro- some of the snitches went to the king and informed on the Jews. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Tibednego be brought before him. He didn't miss that. It was a Sunday school thing, just to remember the names and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, he said to them, Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance. This is like when you get angry and that that crazy you comes out, you ask a question that you're like, you don't even want to hear the answer, right? Is this true that you, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, you know? (laughs) Just me going to be honest today? It's okay. I forgive you. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God, oh will be able to rescue you from my power? He made the mistake Pharaoh made. What God will be able to save you from my hand? And God's like, oh, Nebuchadnezzar? Oh, I hear now. Oh. It's like raising, raising a little Corey. I made my dad discipline me. You try to ignore Corey when he's two. Try it. My dad took over my discipline when I was a child, when I was at the age of four. Because the last time my mom tried to discipline me at the age of four, I ran in front of her and sang Salty, the singing songbook song, Have Patience, while wiggling my butt. Have patience, have patience. And she couldn't catch me. And then my dad took over my discipline. The Holy Spirit was there. I still remember him saying, boy, take whatever it is she's going to give you because it's not going to hurt. Just stop running, you idiot. You little idiot. Stop running. I didn't. How did I get out there? They replied, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Now, when you find, you know, some of the reason you're so angry is because you've set this other image up and people just don't want to connect with it anymore, you know? And you get so angry with it. And these guys, you know, they come out of this patient place. It's easy to be fueled by the energy of anger, but they just like, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. When you find who you really are in Christ, you don't need to defend yourself to everybody. It's like, whoa, whoa. If you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Like, get on with it. It says, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us that he's able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. He's like, we're the Jews. Maybe you haven't read our history. You're not the first Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Like there was a lion and then there was a bear and then there was this 90-foot Goliath. You're not the first Goliath that's come against us. But they say, even if he doesn't, now this is powerful. This is where the real you can have a real conversation. Even if he doesn't save us, We want to make it clear, Your Majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Respectfully, no, we're not going to do it. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious that his face became distorted with rage. You ever see that come over your kid? Like, crazy town. Right? When they're not acting out of who they are anymore, he commanded that the furnace be heated up seven times hotter than usual. We got any engineers in the house? You're freaking out right now. We're, you're like, the specs. The t- I got no addendum. Nobody working the trades. We get Seven times. Hot. We only tried it for like 1.4 times hotter. And we don't even know about that. Seven times hotter. Man, you just turn the argument up. Seven times hotter. And the pipes are going to blow. <laughs> your face is all those veins in your neck are going to pop so so they tied them up threw them into the furnace just like you wear clothes today fully dressed in your pants and turbans and robes and other garments that's stuff on like ladies had accessories yeah, about. my wife comes in to church and somebody's like you look good today And i'm like what about me man i'm wearing jeans and like a shirt nothing oh my goodness and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the men in. So he picks the best guys in his army and he turns the heat up so much, which is what you and I do. You'll sacrifice your best employees in a fit of rage and have them throw these guys into the furnace, and they all die too. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, the snitches replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god, like a real one. The fire that you're facing right now in your relationship or in your finances or whatever you're facing, that fire, when, when, <laughs> when God throws you into the fire sometimes or allows it to happen, it's to burn the chains off of your life. It's to burn the idols out of your pockets so that you can walk around unbound and meet Jesus. I am preaching. Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them. See, your neighbors and the people in your, in your city, they need to see you like this. Saw that the fire had not touched them, not a hair on their heads were singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. You bought fireworks for Canada Day and lit your eyebrows on fire. They got thrown into a seven times hot furnace and nothing happened. Nothing hurt them. And all it did was burn away their bonds. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of praise to the real God. The God of the Hebrews, not, not what I was setting up. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, as the Old Testament, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There's no God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an even higher position in the province of Babylon. Here's what I want to say to you. The fire that you're afraid of is the very fire of salvation. There's broken people that I'm looking at here, people that I love. People have been broken for a long time, myself too. The very fire that I'm afraid of and I would try to avoid. Let the devil turn the heat up. If you go in there, but here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to go into the fire alone. You're going to the fire alone. You're going to get burned. Call a few friends. You know, the greatest predictor of spiritual growth is going to church with four or five close friends. Do you? Like, I don't have that many friends. Small groups, free friends, friends for free. I don't know if Chad's here at this service but he uh, he, he really hurt his back yesterday and uh, he's, he didn't know if he was going to be here but he was here for the first service standing awkwardly at the back because his back's all messed up and uh, and I said to him well Chad why don't you grab four of your friends in your small group why don't you give them to cut a hole in the roof for you and lo- get lowered down in the middle of my sermon I'm still waiting if you're up there And I'm like, and then do it for the 11 o'clock too. Because sometimes you need friends to help lower you into the fire, because in the fire is your salvation. The devil says, you'll lose yourself in the fire. Jesus says, you'll find yourself in the fire. Jesus says, you'll find me in the fire. Jesus says, Take a few friends with you into the fire. Let me pray for you, Heavenly Father, right now, we take this word to heart, this word of correction, Lord God. I pray, Father, that that we would stop trying to escape the fire, stop asking for the fire to go away. Father, I pray that we would embrace the fire that we're facing right now, that you would burn away the images we've created, that we sold other people the images we've created and sold ourselves, and the image of you we created. I pray that you would burn these things up in the fire of the Holy Spirit, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would uh, the chains would fall off of people in this service, forever changing our lives, Father. And I pray that we would go into the fire with friends. In Jesus' name. Amen.